My name is Jenny Wilson, and I have been given the assignment to share with you guys the word that the Lord has put in my heart, um, and I'm going to preach it the way the Lord gave it to me. So if any of you don't like it, take it up with him, all right? Um, but before I get to the word, I want to give honor where honor is due. I want to honor my senior pastors, Pastor Lewis and Pastor Senny. I love you guys. Um, from the moment that I walked into those doors with my daughter, you guys did nothing but love us. And um, I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for your mentorship and your leadership. And I love you guys. And thank you for trusting me with this pulpit. Um, whatever I mess up today, you can correct for me next week, okay? <laughs> um, all of our pastors, I love our pastors, every single one of them. Every single one of you guys have truly um, just impacted my life in one way or another. So I love you guys. I love our leadership. I love our church. Listen, if you guys are not a member of this church and you've been coming for any period of time, get committed, okay? Get committed. Get under some great leadership. Um, because if you really um, feel safe and, and, and home here, just take the driven class, okay? It'll be the best decision that you made after accepting Jesus. So, um, so yeah, and then, um, but last but certainly not least, I want to give a shout out to my husband. My baby father. JJ, John, some of you know him as coach. He's babe to me. Um, I love you, babe. Thank you so much for just being a great leader, a pastor of our home, um, of our family, and um, for being the father and the man of God that I always knew you to be. So I love you. All right, I'm taking my G card back, okay? We're going to get down to some kingdom business. We have been in um, this sermon series of just prayer, right? Of just how powerful prayer is. Um, and, you know, just what um, prayer can do in your life, right? And um, I want to share with you just what the Lord has deposited in my heart um, regarding just this topic of prayer. And we spoke about corporate prayer. We spoke about all these prayers. But I really want to focus on personal prayer, right? Like the prayers um, that is between you and the Lord. Um, the Bible is filled with scriptures, right? Scriptures of men and women who men and women who walked with the Lord, and they used prayer to impact their lives and this world. And we too are able to pray down some promises from heaven, right? That can impact our lives and our world. And instead of the three points that we're used to, right? Three point Louie, right? What I'm gonna give you today are three keys. Um, to praying down some promises that have not only allowed me to pull on the strings of heaven and see God move in my life, but have also helped for me to better understand the heart and the character of God so that my prayers would reach heaven. If you would turn with me in your Bibles, we're going to focus on our verse for today. It is found in Mark chapter 11, verses 20 through 24. And in these verses, we are going to find our three keys that we're going to talk about today. Amen. So Mark chapter 11, verse 20 through 24, and the word of the Lord says, as they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass. It will be done for him. 
Therefore, verse 24, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Ask, believe, receive. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Father, that you are here, that you're with us that you've already set up the grounds of our heart, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that I would decrease in this moment and that I would only speak, Father, the words that you've given me, Lord. We give this moment unto you, Holy Spirit, for you to have your way. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. So to give, to give you guys all a little bit of context of what is going on in these verses, Jesus is in his final days, right? It's, it's leading up to his crucifixion. And Jesus has made his triumphant entry into the city of Jerusalem, riding in on a, on a donkey. And he's presented himself as, to his people as the long-awaited king. And so the people are excited. They're filled with joy. They're shouting their praises to Jesus, yelling, Hosanna, which means save us. And so Jesus enters Jerusalem. He goes into the temple courts. He looks around at everything that is, that is going on, right? Um, Actually, I'm sorry. I'm going to back it up. He goes into Jerusalem. He sees everything that's going on in the temple courts, and then he leaves. The following day, we are told that he returns back to the temple, but along the way, he sees this fig tree. And at this point, you can imagine, Jesus just walked everywhere, right? He's walking everywhere, so he sees this fig tree, and he's hungry, and he's tired, and he's reaching this fig tree because he's going to take some of the figs to eat, and when they approach this fig tree, they see that the fig tree is filled with nothing but leaves. It looked good, but it was filled with nothing but leaves. And so Jesus curses the fig tree for its deceptive appearance. And the disciples hear Jesus say to the tree, may no one ever eat from you again. So now they're back in Jerusalem, right? They're back in the temple courts. And Jesus seeing what he had seen the night before, is in a righteous anger, right? Because he sees that there are people just taking advantage of, of the poor, taking their money. There's money changers. There's people selling doves. And the Lord is outraged because they've turned this house of prayer into a den of thieves. So that night, Jesus leaves the city. So now we find ourselves in our main text, right? So it's the following morning, and they're passing by the same fig tree again. The only thing is, is that this fig tree now looks a little different. By the time they reach the fig tree, it is withered to its roots. Peter sees the fig tree and remembers that just yesterday, Jesus had cursed the tree. And now the tree was completely withered. Now that alone, there's a lesson to learn from that, right? But the disciples are less impressed by the withered fig tree and more amazed at the speed with which Jesus' words came true. One would think, right, that this would be a perfect opportunity for Jesus to sit down with his disciples and, and talk about um, just the unfaithfulness of the religious leaders and their hypocrisy. But instead, Jesus used it, uses it as a teachable moment to talk to his disciples about the potential power of prayers when they're prayed with sincere faith to God. So now I'm going to introduce to you my first key to praying down prayers is that you make your request known to God. Pulling down the promises of God on your life is that you would first have to open up your mouth, right, and make those requests known to God. You would need to ask for it in prayer. A passage of scripture that many of us are familiar with is Philippians 4.6. 
that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to the Lord. Now, many, some of us might think, or at least I know that I thought, you know, since God knows everything, he reads our minds, right? He knows what we're thinking before we think it. Can't I just think about what my requests are to the Lord, right? And sure you can. Sure you can. Or, you know, some of us like to journal and we, you know, like to journal our thoughts and our days. And, you know, if God knows it all, then can we just journal our thoughts, right, in, in to the Lord? Yeah, you certainly can. You know, or, you know, these worship songs, they minister to our souls so much, right? And sometimes it's just that one worship song that you listen to that it is speaking exactly to your situation. And so can I just sing that worship song, right? And make my request known to the Lord that way. Sure, you absolutely can. You can make your requests known to the Lord in many different ways, and the Lord will hear you. And he is able to come through for you. But as great as it is to think about your thoughts and your requests and to write them down in a journal and to sing along with a worship song, God is calling us to a deeper degree of intimacy and power when we speak those requests out loud. Why? Because your words have power. Let's take a look at Daniel 10, verses 10 through 12. And in these verses, it explains just how powerful words are. Verse 10 says, And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken these words to me, I stood up trembling. Now look at what the angel tells Daniel in verse 12. Then he said to me, fear not, Daniel, for, far, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. We can learn a lot about the power of prayer through Daniel. You see, because earlier in this chapter, Daniel was given a revelation, right? And the revelation was concerning about a group, was concerning the people of God and a great war that was going to involve them, and it grieved Daniel greatly. So he fasted and he prayed and he asked God to give him understanding and vision. And what does God do? God responded to Daniel's prayer the very moment he made his request known to God. Daniel prayed and God dispatched an angel to strengthen him in a moment of weakness. Your voice is a God-given gift and the enemy knows this. So he will work his hardest to silence you. But when you speak your requests out loud, it does something in the atmosphere, right? It shifts the atmosphere. Because the atmosphere, what happens is that when you make your requests known to God out loud, the enemy, the enemy hears it, but God sends you reinforcement. He sends you backup. He dispatches ministering angels to strengthen your spirit and your faith. He equips you with spiritual armor. Because when you speak, the enemy now is also made aware of your request. So since he wasn't successful in silencing you, he will make it now his business to discourage you. But just like in Acts 18 verses 9 through 10, when the Lord came to Paul in a night vision, he is coming to us today telling us, do not be afraid. But go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you, to har no one will attack you or harm you, for I have many in the city who are my people. When we make our requests known to God, when we ask him in prayer what we need, God promises to be with us. He comes to our defense and he equips us with the weapon of our words. 
Proverbs 18.21 says that death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. So take inventory of the words that are coming out of your mouth because they hold more power than you know. Words have the power to break strongholds, to make demons flee, to bring healing, to restore. God, the creator of the universe, created it with his words. So what kind of fruits are your words bearing? May us not be like the fig tree who look really good on the outside, but barren on the inside because we underestimate the power of our words. Amen. So we have made our requests known to God, but are we confident that those requests are being answered? So did you know that there is a wrong way to pray? I didn't, okay? I remember, um, you know, people, you know, would just be like, oh, I just don't know how to pray. I, I don't know what to say. And I'd be like, oh, you know what? It's, it's prayer. There's no right or wrong way to pray. Prayer is just a conversation that you have with God. But that is not entirely true. And James had to correct me of that, right? In James chapter 4, starting in verse 2, James says, you desire but do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. And here it is, verse 3. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Wait a minute. So Mark tells us in one verse that whatever we ask for in prayer, we must believe that we've received it. But now James is saying that you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. I learned very early on in my Christianity that it took a whole lot more than just telling God what I wanted him to do and to change in my life. That for many of us, it could be just our lack of understanding the heart of God, or if we can be honest, we sometimes taint our prayer with a little bit of our pride and our selfishness. And I went through a time where I believed in my heart that if I just did all the good deeds, if I did all the right things, if I just people pleased everyone, made everybody happy, and you know, if I just yesed everybody to death, that it would be the catalyst, right? of my prayers being answered. But I found out that the miracles and breakthroughs that I was praying and desiring could not depend on me praying that the Lord would change my circumstances, but instead that I would pray to the Lord that he would change my perspective. That if God allowed me to be in a season of testing, of trying, that he is allowing you to be in a season of testing and trying, that we shouldn't be so quick to pray to God to take us out of this circumstance, but to pray that he would take us through it. We are the ones responsible for our prayers being hindered. Our sin, our fears, our doubts, they block the blessings from reaching us. So how do I know this to be true? Because the word tells us in 1 Peter 3, 7, likewise, Live, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Wives, don't get too excited, okay? Because this really pertains to all of us, right? That if we pray wrongly, if we pray with the wrong heart, that we can hinder our own prayers from reaching the Lord. That no matter how great that they might sound and how eloquent our verbiage is, if it's not prayed with a pure heart, they will not reach heaven. Psalm 66, 18 says, if I had cherished iniquity in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But truly, God has listened to the voice of my prayer. I can appreciate James' emphasis in using wisdom while praying. 
Because if we aren't careful, we will end up resenting God for things he never promised to give us. In Luke eleven nine, 9, this is Jesus talking. He says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. When asking God what we need in prayer, we should also ask him to give us a heart of wisdom and understanding and to reveal to us any hindrances that may be keeping our prayers stagnant. And we may have to change the way we pray or we may have to change what we pray altogether. But the intimate exchange that happens between us and God when we pray is that he gives us glimpses of his glory. He changes our hearts, right? He causes our desires to change the way we think changes. We go from praying selfish prayers to selfless prayers. And when we pray this way, what we are asking is actually coming from the God of heart, from the heart of God himself. And so he gives this to us, right? He's obligated to give it to us because we're praying with his heart. When we pray with the heart of God, he gives us what we're asking for because he is faithful to keep his own word to himself. We read again, Mark verse 24, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And this brings me to my second key, which is you have to have faith to believe that he will answer. Let's read over that verse, verse 22. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Let's go back to James because James is not done talking to us today. James chapter one, verses six, eight, he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person was not supposed that he will receive anything from the Lord. Ay, ay, ay. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Ouch. Listen, read the book of James, all right? Because James is just full of that, like, correction that sometimes you can't sugarcoat. You know what I'm saying? Like, he is not sugarcoating, and he is coming for us today. Because God takes this faith thing seriously. And James wants us to understand just how serious. He compares this doubtful person like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the winds. That person is not standing on a solid foundation. Has anyone ridden the train or the bus or the subway? Yeah? Um, well, I'm very, I used to be very familiar before I moved to Connecticut. Um, I grew up in New York, right, in the Bronx, and... And, um, you know, from high school, ninth grade to senior year, I had to take public transportation. There really is no school buses in New York, right? Like, you, from, you're like in middle school, they give you a metro card, right? And you take the bus and you go to school. And so I lived pretty far from my school. Um, I was in the South Bronx. My school was all the way near like upper Manhattan Bronx area, right? And so um, I would have to take either one bus, uh, two buses to go to school, two trains to go to school, or a bus and a train to go to school, right? And I would have to take the subway, and the subway's disgusting, you know? And every time I'd have to get on, it's always packed, right? Packed with the students and everyone trying to get to work and school, and there were never any seats, and so I'd have to stand sometimes. 
but don't nobody want to touch those nasty poles, right? Because they've been touched by thousands of hands and not all of them are clean. So I would literally just stand there. See, I almost was like the double-minded man, right? I would stand there not touching anything and really try to like hold my balance so that I wouldn't fall, right? But these trains, they don't care about you. They don't think about their passengers. These buses, they don't care about you either. They're angry. They don't want to be at work. They're braking. They're turning. They're doing this. They're doing that. And so it was impossible for me to really try to be stable. And I share that because when I think about this verse, right, about this double-minded man that, you know, is not on solid ground, I, th- I picture that, right? I picture, like, how confident can I really be, right, on this solid ground when the ground that I'm standing on is not solid at all? But James doesn't stop there, right, because he's a savage. He continues to say that this double-minded person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord because a double-minded person is unstable in all of his ways. And I want to share with you just a few examples in the Bible of people who were double-minded and the consequences that they suffered. The first man and woman ever created, Adam and Eve, right? They showed their double-mindedness when they ate of the fruit which caused them to be thrown out of the Garden of Eden. David, the one we know as the man after God's own heart, shows his double-mindedness when he sleeps with Bathsheba and the deadly consequence that David suffered resulting in the murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. Jonah, the prophet, shows his double-mindedness when he travels in the completely opposite direction of Nineveh, where God had told him to go. And Peter, one of Jesus' closest and dearest disciples, showed his double-mindedness when he denied Jesus not once, not twice, but three times, even after being warned by Jesus himself. And these are just to name a few. We can even add our name in there and moments of double-mindedness that we've shown on to God, right? But what's interesting about all of these people is that these people had intimate relationships with the Lord. They loved God. They believed in his goodness, but their double-mindedness revealed to us the true weakened state of their faith. The thing about double-mindedness is that it exposes our lack of faith in God. We really aren't trusting God's plan for our lives. So on the one end, we're saying we have faith that God is going to come through and move mightily. But on the other end, we have doubts in our hearts. It is so easy to believe a miracle for someone else, but have doubt when it comes to us. So God calls us to commit faith in him by continuously choosing to believe in what he says according to his word, because his word never changes. It is the only thing that is consistent and that is true. It brings wisdom, it brings clarity, understanding. But when our faith is fading, our prayers lose their power. And when we turn our own desires into action, we begin to experience instability. Instability is what happens when we try to act on faith while also acting on doubt. Faith is the secret sauce to praying down blessings from heaven. You know how to have faith. You know who had faith to believe that God can answer prayers the woman with the issue of blood. Her faith, it was healed. Her faith healed her from 12 years of sickness. She didn't even need to lay hands on Jesus, right? She took advantage that the Messiah was in town and she pressed through the crowd and had the crazy faith to believe that if she could just touch his garment, like she didn't even need to touch him. If she could just touch the thing that was touching him, it would be enough to heal her. Jesus felt power leave his body and her faith healed her. 
the friends of the paralytic. It was their faith that healed their friend. Imagine that, hearing that Jesus is in town and you are just thinking about your friend. You're not even thinking about your own situation, whatever you need the Lord to do for you. You're thinking about your friend who is in dire need of healing. And so they can't get through to Jesus. Jesus is so near yet so far, but they figure out a way to get through to him. They make a hole in the roof and they bring their paralytic friend down through the roof. And it wasn't the paralytic man that caught Jesus' attention. But it was the faith of his friends that moved Jesus to heal the paralytic man. man. And the Gentile woman who had a demon-possessed daughter, the woman was drawn to Jesus' amazing power to heal. She had heard that he healed and she knew that he would be the only one that would be able to heal her daughter. But she wasn't a Jew. So many maybe were able, were asking themselves at that time, you know, is she really just coming to Jesus to impress him because she just, she just wants some help? Or does she really believe that this is the Messiah? And so she's pleading to Jesus and Jesus doesn't respond. But then she demonstrates her faith in God's promises by reminding Jesus that God himself promised to bless all nations through his promise to Abraham. She recognized, Jesus recognized that the woman not only had faith to believe, that he had the power to heal her daughter, but more importantly, that she believed him to be the long-awaited Messiah, sent both to Israel and the Gentiles to redeem them from their sin. And it was that kind of faith that moved Jesus to heal her daughter. We see something beautiful and powerful in the faith that these people had in Jesus. Because when they demonstrated their faith, God moved. Faith moves God. When we have faith to believe that God will do what he says he's going to do, God moves on our behalf. As Christians, we are constantly praying to God to meet our needs, heal our bodies and minds, restore relationships, and give us wisdom. But just like James 1, 5 says, 1, 5 through 7 says, unless we ask in faith without doubting, we won't receive what we're asking for. Which brings me to my final key which is faith partnered with action results in answered prayers. Faith grants us access to blessings, but action closes the gap between us and our blessings. The person most responsible for the things that happen in your life besides God are you. So while you're waiting and believing for the Lord to answer your prayers, don't just do nothing. Don't just be idle. Don't just be stagnant, right? That's not wisdom. Or placing the burden of responsibility for our desires on other people, right, so that they can meet those needs. But rather, pray that the Lord would empower you with the necessary tools so that you're ready to receive what you're asking him for. Hebrews 11, in the Passion Translation reads, Now faith brings hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Faith and action. Faith brings our hope to reality. Action helps materialize what is still unseen. Our faith alone is all the evidence we need to prove that we already to need to prove that we already have what we're hoping for. It just hasn't materialized yet. But just because you don't see it doesn't mean that God is not working. If you have been praying for anything for any amount of time over and over and you still feel frustrated because nothing is happening, don't lose faith. Don't stop praying. The enemy is really good at attacking our faith by making us feel like God is not listening or that he's not going to come through or that he doesn't care. The enemy would want nothing more than for us to stop praying altogether 
because he knows the power there is in prayer, especially when the prayers are prayed by the righteous. The enemy knows that the prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. And if he is not able to silence us, he will attack our faith so that we either pray less or pray with no effectiveness. The end of verse 24 in Mark chapter 10, it says that whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. But oftentimes when it comes and it is yours, it requires more prayer. Prayer doesn't stop when God gives you what you ask for, right? Prayer gets you to places that only prayer can sustain you. But too often we receive what we've asked for and we stop praying. And that's the time when we need to pray the most because if we don't, we will blame God for what we lose in prayerlessness that we gained in prayerfulness. The beautiful lie of Satan is that once we get it, we no longer need prayer to keep it. So we pray for a new job. We want a new job because we're unemployed or we just don't like the jobs that we have. And, and we find ourselves in our prayer closet, right? And we're highlighting all of the prayer verses and, and we're fasting and we're doing all of the things that we need to do, right? We're praying fervently to God for him to open a door of opportunity. And then God does it. You've got the job that you wanted. Are you still praying with that same fervor? Or you're praying for a spouse, right? And God sees the desire of marriage that you have in your heart. And you're trying to live righteously. And you're trying to really just pray that the Lord would make you ready for your husband or your wife. And then finally, God brings you the person that he made especially for you. And now you got it. And now you're married. Are you still praying with that same fervor? Because guess what? Marriage needs prayer. Now, I know I've only been married for four months, right? I'm in honeymoon stage. What, what can go wrong? But I'll tell you that I've probably, I've probably prayed more for my husband in the four months of us being married than in the years that I spent believing God for a husband. Because more blessings mean more responsibility. And it takes much more for us to hold and to handle. But through prayer, God strengthens us to be able to sustain what he has given us. These keys aren't the only keys to praying down heaven's blessings on your life but they were the keys that I used that God allowed in my life for me to be able to walk in the fruit of answered prayers there has yet to be a request that I have made known to God that God has not answered because even the ones that I'm still waiting on God for I am faithful to believe that he's going to do it after giving my life to Jesus in 2016 God immediately raised me to be an intercessor for my family, to pray over their salvation, because it shattered my heart at the thought that I'd go to heaven and they wouldn't be there with me. In 2017, God used Pastor Lewis to speak a prophetic word about my family. And he said that my parents and my sisters were going to be saved. And I held on to that prophecy with all of my heart, because I believed that I was going to see it come to pass. In 2018, Nadie, my baby sister, gave her life to the Lord. In 2020, my mother gave her life to the Lord. In 2022, my other sister gave her life to the Lord. And earlier this year, just a few months ago, my dad gave his life to the Lord. For six years, I asked, I believed, and I received. And I continue praying for them. In 2018, Pastor Ceci tells me a prophetic dream that she had. She had dreamt that she had seen me get married. 
and that in her dream, my daughter, who was eight years old in 2018 at that time, she was about 12 or 13 in Pastor Ceci's dream. And in her dream, she said she saw my husband. She says, sis, I had a dream that you were getting married. Word, sis? Okay. Because, you know, we love to hear those types of things, right? And he's like, yeah, and I saw who your husband was. And I was like, okay. She was like, sis, you were going to marry, you were marrying your daughter's father. I said, you lying. There's no way. There's no way. It's never going to happen. At that time, he was so far from God. God had separated us because I was drawing closer to God and he was not, right? And so there was no way that that was true. And she said, sis, God can change anyone. For the five years that we were apart, I was praying for the salvation of my husband. And although the reality of the time didn't look like the promise, I had faith to believe that the promise was going to come to pass. In 2021, my husband gives his life to the Lord. And God restores us back together. And on May 13th, 2023, my daughter, who will be 13 this Wednesday, was able to witness her parents getting married. God is able to do exceedingly above anything we believe or think or can imagine. Because that is the power of the God that is within us, right? That when we pray with faith, and when we pray with power, the prayers of the righteous are mighty and effective. Let's stand to our feet. As the altar team makes their way up, I want to really make this an invitation for you all. If you're here and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and if you die today, you don't know where you would be for eternity. Maybe the first promise you need to pull on through prayer is to pray Jesus into your heart. Or if you've backslid or you've walked away from the Lord and you really feel like the court, the Lord is really beckoning for you to come back home. I want to invite you to the altar. Don't, don't come just yet. Don't come just yet. I'll, I'll call you up. But with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're really feeling like the Lord is, is really calling you to just back to his heart, if you are feeling like you are just lost and you're desiring just direction, let's pull on the strings of heaven and invite Jesus into our heart. It doesn't matter who's on to your left or to your right. This is just you and God. It's just you and God. So if that is you, you can just lift your hands up. If you are wanting to give your life to the Lord or give your heart back to God, come on. If you are online, we have Elle. She is doing online in ministry right now. And if you are needing prayer, she is there to pray for you. But I just want us to pray together, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. Father, for every person, Lord, that is here under the sound of my voice, Father God, that is feeling this beckoning, Father, to come back home, Lord. Father, I pray, Lord, that they would give their hearts to you today, Lord. That you would remove all fear, all anxiety. That they wouldn't even care what would happen after they give their lives to God. Father, meet them here today. Father, you desire to be in their hearts. You desire to, to change them. You desire to change their lives, Father God. So if that's you, you can make your way up. And if you're just needing prayer for anything, prayer for healing, prayer for restoration, prayer for whatever it is, I invite you to come to the altar.